Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Really great to have you guys in with us today. Uh, so we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, what it means to have eternal life, to live under God's rule. This is an invitation uh, that Christ has extended to all people uh, from anywhere and in any kind of circumstances. There's no situation or condition that excludes anyone. Everyone can be blessed or fortunate if they're willing to accept Christ and his offer. And uh, we're looking at what what does it mean to orient yourself to be in this kingdom? Once you're invited in, what does that that look like? So uh, we have this group of people that Matthew and uh, Luke give us and the kingdom has been extended to all of them in any of their circumstances. Uh, And we said that it doesn't matter that they're spiritual circumstances or sociological circumstances. You can be in these, in all of these conditions spiritually. You can be in all of them sociologically, in reality, um, your physical life. And we're talking about what happens when all these people come together and get in the kingdom as sort of an orientation before we get into the sermon proper, what does it, what does it mean? Uh, what does it look like to live in here? If you, you accept the invitation from wherever you're at and you come into this, uh, what does it look like in there? It's like any needed orientation to anything new. And I think the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we sort of miss the big picture sometimes. And I know that for me, literally to the core of my being, reflecting on what it means to be oriented to live really in this kingdom, it's affected me. I'm seeing things different as a result of spending time thinking about it. One of the characteristics we talked about last week was they're humbly dependent on spiritual resources for their well-being. They're not dependent on physical material resources uh, for their ultimate well-being. Uh, Remember we said uh, in Matthew 7, 25, you're this kind of house, Jesus describes. Rains will fall, floods will come, the wind will beat on that house, and it won't fall, which means it's made of something other than physical material. It's a real substance, but it's not made of physical material things. And so they're indestructible. Nothing can take them out. Their world is not restricted to the physical and the visible for life, for any kind of well-being, physically, emotionally, spiritually, materially. So Jesus is saying, you're safe regardless of what happens in the visible dimension of the universe. It's an overwhelming state. 
And we sort of described it as there's no end of the world. You know, we come to a point in our lives sometimes, we go, man, it'd be the end of the world if this doesn't happen. It'd be the end of the world if I don't see that or have that or make that. Or... And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's, there's no such thing as the end of the world for anybody who comes into this kingdom. And the reason is, as we looked at it, when you look at the uh, Sermon on the Mount, you have these beatitudes that open up where there is this kingdom now. It's present now. Maybe it'll help look this way. Blessed are those who are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom. Those who are persecuted, theirs is the kingdom. It's present tense. But then there's this whole future piece to it. And so what Jesus essentially does is come in and say, hey, you can be blessed now, and uh, it doesn't all come to an end. There's something past it. This is the reason why there's no end to the world, because there's hope and promise after this life. So in reality, there's no end of the world for anyone who lives in this kingdom. They begin to live forever immediately, and they go on forever. I uh, got an email from a family. I was going to go on and give you the next two characteristics. I think there's three, at least three that I would like to, you know, explain about what it means to be oriented, three characteristics of people who live in the kingdom. And so I was going to give you the other two today, but I got an email. I got an email from a family that uh, made me pause and basically jump a few talks ahead and bring it to now. And the email ended basically like this. I know it's not the end of the world, but it feels like it. And I totally get it. And I want you to know that that sentiment is not lost on God and it's not lost on Jesus as he's giving these Beatitudes. The Beatitudes tell us more than just who's invited in. Uh, much more. And so, um, so I kind of want to address that a little bit, show you what I mean. Um, if you look at the Beatitudes, this is basically how they go. You get this blessing, which we'll just call for right now, opportunity. And then you have uh, some difficult circumstance. And then you have some promise out here that extends beyond into the future. And that's essentially the breakdown. And if you break it down visually, which helps me, it looks like this. Every beatitude, there's some opportunity to be blessed, opportunity to be accepted right now, blessed. But there's also uh, some set of circumstances, and this is, this is just life, whatever those circumstances are that you find yourself in. And then there's some hope, there's a promise for future fulfillment and resolution. That's what Jesus is offering. Future. 
That's essentially the breakdown here. And there's two things to notice that I think are important. There's no connection between each one of the Beatitudes. Uh, There's no conjunction joining them. They're just statements. It's just Jesus throwing them out. You hear? You hear? You hear? And what they just essentially say to us, two things, I think. One, they remind us that God is well aware of your circumstances. He's inviting you in wherever you're at in your life and circumstances. And the second thing is, is that heaven's care is available to whatever those circumstances are. There's some portion of it now that comes, and there's some resolution that comes at the end. So somehow, immediately, no matter what you're dealing with, whatever what your life is, you have immediate context, you have immediate meaning and hope because of this promise. That's what the beatitude to give you. No matter what your situation is, you have ultimate context to make decisions now in this set of circumstances. You don't just make decisions now that help you get through here and just to the end of life. No, no, no. You're making decisions that have eternal ramifications. So you have ultimate context and you have a future. Because your life could, it could be like this. You just have life. You just have whatever circumstances you have. You don't have any opportunity for somebody to come in and salvage anything long-lasting out of it, either to make something out of you or to make something out of the situation. You don't have any of that. You don't have any of the hope or the meaning of the, or the context. You have no context to put this in and no way to ultimately redeem anything long-term because you don't have it if Christ, if you don't receive this offer. You have no future. It comes to the end. I read an article this week in The Guardian about three days ago. came out. Uh, Hadley Freeman wrote an article on William Shatner. He turned 90. And he doesn't look 90. And, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty remarkable that she just basically reflected on his career. It was a long article. Uh, his love, his losses, the friendship with Leonard Nimoy, which sort of got strained at the end. And she gets to the end of this article and to avoid asking him if he worries about death. She, she asked this, what he wishes he had known at 20 that he knows now at 90. And his answer is the title of the article. And he says, actually, I'm glad I didn't know at 20 what I know now. And he says basically this, Nothing matters in the end. That's the summation of this man's life. Nothing matters in the end. You get to the end, and it's all over, and so none of it mattered. None of, the, none of it. 
You can live to 90. You can have fame. You can have all the resources you'll ever need. You can find tremendous, I don't know, worth or dignity in, in, the, in your vocation. You can have contributed. At the end, none of it means anything to the person who has no future. Nothing matters in the end. And here's Jesus. Let me change this slide. It's depressing. Here's Jesus coming in and inviting himself into your life and circumstances, right into the mess of your life. And we're all a mess. Big time messes. And he can bring immediate context, meaning, and hope into whatever those circumstances are. Because their circumstances are their actual lives. Where else is God going to bless them? Where else is the blessing going to come from or to unless it's in your life and whatever those circumstances are? That's what God wants to do. He wants to come into your life and your blessings. That's what the, the focus of discipleship is. Your actual life. And that's what he wants from you, is your life. Your circumstances. I want you to give them to him. I want you to trust him with them. There's no nobility in the circumstances. You're poor in spirit. You're meek. You mourn. There's no nobility in that. There's no nobility in the circumstances by themselves. It all comes because of what Jesus brings. And when you integrate your circumstances, your life, into God's life and, and authority and, and blessing, then your life actually takes on the quality, the substance of eternity and gets caught up in the movement so that God, again, can take you and your circumstances and make something good and salvage them forever. That gives them meaning. So that none of these, how, how do they hurt so bad and mean nothing? So God comes in and he makes a difference. And whatever the circumstances are, you know, usually there's two things. Because you're very capable, I'm very capable of taking the circumstances I'm in and, and, and screwing them up and making them worse. And so I can make them worse by two things. I identify too much with them. And my identity is attached to my circumstances. And so part of what makes me hard to live within the circumstances is that I don't know who I am or I lost value or I've put too much stock in something and I've lost it. And so I feel like a nothing. And that makes me hard to live with. And it's not just that. It's what I do in the circumstance. That then leads to me taking options, sinful options, that are available to me to be manipulative or, or negative or controlling or uh, hurtful to myself and to others. This is what we do in difficult circumstances. We make them worse because we have no options available to us. Jesus is trying to say... 
I have options. And I have resources. You can get strength so you don't lose your identity in those circumstances and that you know you don't lose your mind and you know what to do in those circumstances. That's what Jesus is offering. So God blesses people where they're at. This is what he wants to do. He wants to come into your life the way it is. I mean, there's nowhere else to bless you except for in the actual life you're living. This is where we experience God. His presence, power, provision. And each one of our circumstances are just opportunities for him to show his faithfulness. In, in sometimes the simplest ways. Just what you need to go on. He knows it can feel like the end of the world. And the Beatitudes say, Jesus is sitting there looking up at thousands of people on a mountainside who are in all these conditions. And he's acknowledging that they're in those conditions. That's what the Beatitudes do. Hey, I see some of you mourners out there. I see you. That's what the Beatitudes are saying. That God says, I know it can feel like the end of the world. I see and I care and I want to give you hope. Whether it's spiritual or physical. So let's just look at the Beatitudes just for a minute to try to gain some perspective on that. The poor. Well, that can be spiritually poor or literally poor. At the end of the day, you don't have what you need either way. How many times have you just had in your lifetime moments where spiritually you just said, I don't have the resources, nor are they in my life to figure out why I have this hole in my heart. And there isn't a beautiful person or a bank account that can solve it or fill it. And you go, where am I going to find the resources Fill this hole in my heart. You're not going to find him anywhere except from Christ. And Jesus knows that. you got an inner emptiness that's poor spiritually. But then you might actually be poor. You might literally have nothing. You might have nothing in the bank, nothing to turn to, and no one to turn to. Gail said one of my sons moved this week, sold his couch before they moved, and he asked me to help him deliver it. We ended up delivering it to an apartment complex around here to a single mom who couldn't pick it up herself. And we got in there and we put it in this apartment. It was kind of big for it. I walked into that room and I could, I could feel it. It's like I've been in that apartment raised by a single mom. And I could feel it. I, I knew what was happening in here. And it just, my heart broke Im immediately because I could tell she's in over her head. So we got it loaded in there and started to leave. And Nick pulled out and I just stopped and got out of my car and went back in and knocked on her door. And I just said, hey, I'm a little nosy. 
I just need to know how you're doing. I said, I was raised by a single mom. Lived in apartments everywhere. I said, how are you? Burst into tears. I said, where's your husband? He's someone else. How old are your kids? Four and two. This is our first time in an apartment. It's our first time alone. I said, you getting much help? He's with somebody who doesn't want him to help too much, so we get a little, but not enough. I'm getting a new job here in Fort Worth, so we had to move here. I said, what about your parents? I haven't talked to my parents. And I said, who do you have? He said, nobody. Been there. I said, well, hey, here's my, here's my number. I'm a pastor of a church over here in Keller. And we got a lot of people who would love to be there for you. And so hopefully God will give us a chance to do that. And this is just what God does. It's kind of like who's taking care of the 80 families? God in St. Lucia. Well, I'll send somebody over there, Pete. I'll have your son deliver a couch so you can meet that gal so that we can connect with her too. And I have ways. I have little secret ways. I have so many secret ways of blessing people who are in crisis, who have nowhere to turn. And when people come into the kingdom, you know, it's really easy, you know, if you're her to go, how, how do I fit in? And when I come, do I need to... You know, because when, when, you, when you come into a, a space like the kingdom and you, ha- you don't have much, you're very self-conscious about what you do and don't have, how you look, how you don't look. You come into the kingdom and you go, should I stand in the back? Should I just be on the fringe? Is, is there really a spot for me? Jesus says, what does he say to the poor? Yours is the kingdom. The whole kingdom's yours. You're a king in the, you reign in here with me. You're not second class. He just finds ways to bless and give provision and peace even though the days are hard. And one day, he says, one day, all your insecurities will be gone and all provisions will be available to you. That's the promise. And then those who mourn Luke calls them the weeping ones. They've experienced tremendous grief. Pain, loss, rejection. So many things to break the heart. My granddaughter, Maya, her first two words together were, oh no. And it's really cute to hear her saying because she perches her lips together. She, oh, no, oh, no. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, she's already saying, oh, no. She's only 13 months old. Things break. Can't have some stuff. Oh, no, dog got it. Sorry. Oh, no, I've said it 200 times last week. 
Some people's hearts are really broken. I mean, most of the pain that I've encountered recently are from adult, from parents of adult kids who aren't making great choices, hurting themselves. Or There's just no pain. Like, there's no pain like a parent's pain. Do anything you want to a parent. Don't do it to their kids. Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn. I see you out there on the hill. Come on in. Those of you who say, I don't think I'm getting over this one. I don't think I'm getting over that. You're just pulled apart by life. Somehow you experience God in a way that, that lessens that devastation. Somehow. I, I don't know how, but I've seen it happen hundreds of times. It always makes you marvel. Sometimes he brings complete restoration and comfort here. Sometimes it's just enough to get you by. My mom was in town not long ago, and she... Uh, asked if Anthony McCann and his family could come over, his new family would come over. She loves Anthony McCann more than me, I think, actually. <laughs> and so uh, we had him over, and um, on one particular moment, I could see Anthony and my mom just sitting at the counter talking, sharing stories and laughing and asking questions. They were laughing. My mom who was raising her granddaughter, 16 years old, she has a brain aneurysm right there in her house, lost consciousness and never regained it, died within two days. I did that funeral. My 16-year-old niece and then Anthony McCann's son, 12 years old, I did that funeral. And here they are sitting at my counter laughing, rejoicing with holes in their heart, not gone completely, but able to find laughter. How? I don't know. God finds a way to bless in those circumstances, and you find something to salvage. And one day, one day God says, you will be healed. Completely whole. That hole in your heart you feel now, that you sort of laugh around it, it'll be gone. That's the promise. And then there's the meek. These are the, the defenseless sort of, the unassertive. Some set of circumstances they're powerless in. And, and these folks usually get the short end of the stick. Uh, they don't stand up for them. They don't force themselves uh, on people. There's some people in our lives that, you know, just sort of dominate. They're always pushy, and they're always going to get what they're after no matter what happens, you know, those kind of demanding people. But then in our lives, there's some people who are just not that way. They just, they just don't have to have. And they're great to be around. 
It's such a relief. And God says, you'll inherit the earth, the land. It's just a great promise to these folks because the landowners in Jesus' day and in the Old Testament were ruthless characters, very demanding, hard, just hardcore people. If you didn't own the land, you were subject to that. Some often violent. And Christ basically says to these folks, and somehow, somehow because they have come into the kingdom and allowed God into that circumstances, they, they're okay if they don't possess something. It's okay if they don't own it. It's okay if it's not theirs. And they're not going to invade the land and take it. They're going to inherit it. God says to them, it's okay. Don't worry. It'll be yours. So somehow they find a way in peace, even though they don't have it. And one day, it will be all yours, God says, to make something wonderful of it. The land will be yours to make something wonderful of it. Then there's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You, 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 want what's, you want righteousness in yourself and in others. Sometimes your own failures are overwhelming. Sometimes your own sin is overwhelming. Some of us are stuck in habits that we just can't seem to get out of. And we just hunger for right and, and you just can't get it. Or you're with others and others aren't doing what's right and you, you hunger for them too. And some of the failures of others have caused you all kinds of grief. And you've suffered injustices and wrongs from other people. And it's just overwhelming. Is anything right? You just get to the end of your rope in that. What does Jesus say? I see you. You'll be filled and satisfied. Blessed are you whose tummy isn't full. Come into the kingdom. I'll find a way to restore your soul. I'll get food to you somehow. You'll find healing, forgiveness, whatever you need so that you don't hate yourself or others. I encounter people regularly who hate themselves. What are you going to do with that? Who are you turning to for that? And one day, everything will be made right. What will that feel like? It'll feel like a full stomach. When every single thing that's wrong, that you know is wrong, be made right. What a promise. And then there's the merciful. I love the merciful. I have lots of merciful people in my life. And, uh, and they, they, they get used. They get taken advantage of and often do without. Mercy is such a wonderful thing to receive. We love it when we get it. But the giver often gets nothing in return and very often gets taken advantage of. 
It doesn't matter what role you play, whether you're the spouse or the friend or, or even a teacher, you know, the teacher that's known for being merciful. You say, oh, classes are you taking? Well, you better get so-and-so because she's nice. And she has the reputation, and he has the reputation of just giving, 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 giving. And very often, they get the short end of the stick. It doesn't get returned. They're easy to take advantage of. You use them. And what does Jesus say? I see you. You'll find mercy. I'll make sure you get it in return. I'll make sure that you're not just the one giving it out. You'll feel little bits of it every day. You know, when Lamentations, when he says your, your mercies are new every morning, you'll get a little. But one day, you'll, be, you'll have it all come back to you. And you won't feel shorted. And then there's the pure in heart. You want to do the right thing. And you want things to be right. And very often you struggle because nothing's really good enough. And you live with frustration. Because um, things aren't like they ought to be. You get tough on yourself and you get tough on others and there's always something. And you have this ability to, to actually only see the thing that isn't right. And the people in your life got to deal with it. But you're either questioning motives or you're, you know, pointing out the thing that didn't get complete. Because it weighs on you. You, you, you can't help it. You, you just see insufficiency. And that's tough. And God can come in and provide the grace to sort of ease up on yourself and maybe ease up on some others. Become hopeful, patient. You realize God can work in imperfection. God, can you do something with this mess? Yeah, that's what he's saying to everyone on the mountain. You know, everyone on the mountain is doing without something. That God says, hey, I, I can bring something. And to the pure in heart, one day, you'll see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. One day, they'll see God. They'll see perfection. They'll find what they've been looking for all their lives. And then there's the peacemakers. These are the people in the middle. They're mediators. And they live with a lot of frustration too. Because it usually means they're, they're in a lot of messes and they, all, and they see all the messes. All the people in their lives who don't get along, parents and kids, you got messes like this in your life where you're constantly mediating, trying, constantly hoping people will get along in your life because if they would get along, it would make your life so much better. If your siblings could, could get along, if your kids could get along, if parents and kids could get along, if 
It's just all over the place. It's overwhelming. And there's a, there's a real high cost to pay if you're constantly in the middle. Sometimes it's downright dangerous. If you're a police officer called to a domestic dispute, you're really vulnerable because you get two people who, who are at each other, and you're trying to protect both, and they end up turning on you or one of them. It's unsafe in the middle. I can remember my sisters have both been in abusive relationships and whined about it. We've all tried to help the whole family in different situations. I remember being home from college, had a perm in my hair, thought I was something. And she called our house, called my dad and me and said, hey, he's hitting me and she was crying. So what did we do? We jumped in the car, head over there. And as soon as we pull up, he comes running out of the house and takes off down the street. I jump out of the car, young one with the flowing hair, and I take off after him because I'm sick of it. No sooner am I running after him than my sister comes out of the house running after me, yelling at me, I'll kill you if you touch him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So I stop running. Stop running, I go, I'm out of here because this is a no-win situation. More than once I've been in that place. You're like, oh, my goodness. Well, how do you get strength and hope to be that person, to be the person that's holding it together for the whole family, holding it together for the, for the marriage, holding it together for your kids, holding it together for someone? That's a rough place to be. Jesus looks on the mountain and goes, I see you. I see you up there. You know what he says to them? One day you'll be called the son of God. You've got a family resemblance. You are just like me, God says, because that's all I want. People to get along. People everywhere to get along. You look around this world. We can't find unity and peace. It's the only words we ever use. Turn on the news. Those are the words we're looking at. We hear them all day long. Nobody can give it. Where are you going to get it? Jesus says, I can give it to you. And one day, you'll be standing with God and he'll say, peace. There's finally peace. And then there's the persecuted, who no matter what they do seems like doesn't pay, even when they do right. And you can really feel alienated. I think, you know, even some of the shows you watch, some of the people you identify with who hurt the most are the people who are in trouble for something that they did right or good. You identify with those people. You're like, man, this guy's paying for something, and look what he did. And you can feel, if, you're, if, if, you, if you have any relationship with God, you will go, you'll really feel on the outs if somehow you did the right thing and yet, you're paying a high price for it. Really feel outside of God's blessing. 
And it could be any kind. You could be blasted for something, maligned for something. You could be uh, killed, harassed, just your life ruined. And for these people sitting on the hill, they're sitting up there going, oh, man, I hear you talking, Jesus. You do realize, though, just down the street here in Jerusalem, the, the, the religious people, if we have anything to do with you, they're going to hate us. We're going to be ostracized. We're talking about losing our families if we have any association with you. And not just them, but the secular. We're going to pay a high price no matter how we look to the religious and to the irreligious if we have anything to do with you. That's a horrible feeling. And God reminds you. God reminds them. I see you. And your reputation is in good standing with me. Even though you're rejected by men. Even though they don't see it. You know, one of the things that persecution does. And God's able to drive this home to the heart. And I haven't had it enough but I've seen it in other people. I've literally seen it in other people who, who suffered greatly because of their faith. He has a way of affirming to them they've done the right thing by the fact that they have been persecuted. It's almost confirmation of the fact that I really do know you and I really do love you and I really do serve you. It's a confirmation. It's a strange thing. But that's the kind of blessing God can bring in there. And one day, one day, Jesus says, the kingdom will be yours. You'll be able to move about in the kingdom free, doing right, without anything hanging over your head. You'll have the full picture. You'll be affirmed. You'll rejoice that you could suffer like I suffered. And all your losses will be recovered. And then some. And then lots. Because Jesus says, Whenever you lose here, you'll get a hundredfold. That's the Beatitudes. That's Jesus saying, I know it feels like the end of the world. But it is not the end of the world. If you let me in. My mom was here, and uh, I don't ever watch regular TV anymore. You, many of you probably don't either, and so it's just never on where you're watching a station like it used to be. Something's just on all the time. And so, uh, but she was going to be sitting at home while Gail and I went to work, and so we put something on, and it would just play for her, and it was, she, was, she got stuck on that law and order, you know, rotation. The 1,200 seasons of SVU, the Special Victims Unit. We'd put that on for her, and she'd be watching it, and uh, it kind of feels like that, that was who's sitting on the hill, by the way, Special Victims. 
that Jesus was addressing. And so if I was sitting there talking to my mom and we got in conversation, we'd end up, you know, watching the episode. And I had never seen an episode of SVU. I got to tell you, man, that'll, that'll, that'll wreck your day. It will wreck your day. The horrific stories. And on this one particular story, this gal is getting beat up by her husband. They finally are able to prove it, get him in court, prove that he did it, put him in jail. The wife is angry. And the reason she's angry is because she cannot picture life without him in it. She can't picture it. She thinks she'll have no resources. She thinks that uh, without him, she has no life. And I'm sitting there going to my, how many of us can be that way in our circumstances? Stubborn in them. Because we have no imagination of what could be if, if Christ were to enter those circumstances, how different they could be. No imagination whatsoever. You know what Jesus was doing on that hill? He was trying to help them imagine heavenly resources at their disposal now and forever. And where are you going to get it without them? So my advice, don't wait till your circumstances change. That's what he wants in. He wants in it. Your personal issues and everything else. You're sitting by a bed, hospital bed. You're sitting by a graveside. You're in a courtroom. Let me in. Jesus says, I know it feels like the end of the world. But the reason I'm here is because it's not. And on top of that, furthermore, I'm going to experience every single one of those things you guys are experiencing on your behalf. Just go right through the Beatitudes. Every single one of them Jesus experiences for our sake. My favorite author says this. Yet the kingdom of heavens has a chemistry. I love this. Has a chemistry that can transform even the past and make the terrible, irretrievable losses that human beings experience seem insignificant in the greatness of God. That's what I want. I want no matter what happens in my life, in your life, no matter how big it is, to know it's not the end of the world and have it shrink before me in light of who God is, that's what I'm trying to do every day. I know you're trying to do it too. That's the promise Jesus has given. One of the things I hope, like for that single mom I met, that she'll come in here and meet some of the people because there's nothing, there's nothing like meeting people who are, who are going through hell, who are trying to live right, 
doing what God wants them to do in those circumstances, and they find a little joy and peace, and you get around them, and those are the ones that have depth and a richness to their life, and they're your favorite people to be around, and they're the ones that come to my mind when, everybody, when anybody hurts. I go, they're the people that have taught us all how to get through difficult times. They're right here. Sometimes God's greatest gift is to be around people when you're going through it. We've already gone through it. They're a great gift. Sometimes that's how he cares for you. All right, just bow your heads. Lord, um, regularly I hear of overwhelming circumstances in people's lives. You know, rotate people through my prayer list and I lift them up to you. But you know and you see and you offer heavenly care, heavenly resources I pray, God, anyone in those circumstances now would just say, okay, God, I'll let you in. Give me something. Because it does matter. It's not the end. In Jesus' name.